This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This program is sponsored by New Zealand Bridge, sponsors of Grassroots Bridge across the nation. Welcome to the Bridge Zone. You're at the table with Barry and Mariana. We have had Christmas dinner and we've been up for our first night at the Papatoe Toe Christmas tournament. And how'd you go, Barry? We did okay until the last few tables when somebody bid seven diamonds against us and we got a zero. <laughs> and then the next table, another zero. Well, something pretty sad happened at the last table. What happened? Well, I had this nice hand where I was 4-4 in the majors. Yep. We were playing five-card majors, so I opened a club. They overcalled a spade and partner doubled, so I bid my four-card heart suit. Partner invited me to game, and I went. And then when I come to play hearts, I played the jack of hearts. I had queen, jack, nine, and another, so I played the jack of hearts from my hand. They won with the ace. I had a bit of a gap, and I went to look, at, look back at that queen of hearts. And it turned into the Queen of Diamonds. Ooh. <laughs> so diamonds are the new hearts, are they? Yeah, they are. So here I am in four hearts with three to the jack, opposite four to the king. <laughs> Suffice to say, it did not have a happy ending. Three light vulnerable, I went, for another zero. <laughs> was there a third zero coming up? No, that was the last one. Oh, no, we had one board to go, and we actually got 68% on the last board, so that, that got us up to just under 60 but, I'm sure with three tables to go, we must have been running it well over 60. Do you wear glasses at the bridge table? Yes, I do. Oh, maybe it's time you get a check-up. <laughs> do they have ones for colours? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, my hat-holding looked pretty nice when it was Queen Jack 9X, opposite partners 4 to the King. I thought, well, that's pretty good. Should be able to play that for one loser. And nah, all of a sudden, I had 3 to the Jack, opposite 4 to the King, and it was not a pretty sight. <laughs> what nice word did Jenny say to you? <laughs> it could have been worse. When I led the Jack of Hearts from my hand, when I had Queen Jack 9, they could have covered with the Queen of Hearts. Now, that would have confused the hell out of me because I thought I had that. <laughs> I did exactly the same. I, or not like that, but I had this. I was about to claim making five, and I looked at my hand and I thought, yep, I'll just move that nine of diamonds over here. But I pulled it out and I put it on the table. We got zero because we were the only ones that made four. And, and I thought if there was a way that I could have stopped that card hitting the table, what was the way? So I thought, can I fling it off the table so it's not played? When I realise it's going down, it's the wrong card. Can I biff it off the table? And I thought, oh, I better ask people. When no one at the table knew, it's like, I don't know. So I turned around and Steve Bowie's standing behind me. Hey, Steve, can you tell me what can I do if I realise I'm going to put down the wrong card onto the table? And he said, well, you've got several options. You can put your whole pack face down and put it on the table and so it's not played. He said, yeah, you could if you're quick enough, flick it off the table and it's not played as long as they don't get to see it. So if you've got a mind that works that quickly, you've got split second to make a good decision and bang your whole pack down. I thought, I'm going to do that. One day I'll find an opportunity to do that and see if I'm fast enough. Maintaining yeah. focus and concentration. That's yeah. what our guest today is talking about, Kim Fraser. Oh, maybe I'd better get that book. Well, maybe we should ask Judge Julie about whether you could have thrown your cat on the floor. 
Because <laughs> as I was putting it down, I said, oh, I'm putting down the wrong card, which was really, I don't know whether you're allowed to do that either, but I could have biffed it off the table, apparently. <laughs> okay, so anyway, that's one subject we can talk about today. Director, please. How can I help? Judge Julie presiding. So just for today, we've got a special question from Mariana about a real-life happening at the bridge table, however unlikely it might sound. When you're in a situation that you're pulling out the wrong card and it's going down onto the table, are you able to flick it off the table? Or what can you do to stop yourself from doing that? A card is played when it is placed in a position where your partner might be able to see it, could have seen it, which is if you are a defender. So if your partner could have seen the card, it's too late, it has played. If you flick it off the table and your partner could have seen it, it will either be played or a penalty card, depending on whether it was accidental or not. So this sounds deliberate. It was. There are several things about when a defender's card is played, and that is basically if it, their partner could have seen it, it will be a played card. It is irrelevant whether your opponents could see it or not. If you suddenly realise you've pulled the wrong card out, stop what you're doing and then get the director and they will tell you whether you've played it or not. It's really quite simple. The director's going to tell you whether you've played it. If you are declarer... Were you declarer or defender, Mariana? I was declarer. So when you're declarer, it's a bit easier because it's irrelevant whether dummy sees your card. When you're declarer, it's when it is touching or near touching the table in such a position as to indicate it is played. So again, if you stop what you're doing, I'm not too sure that flicking it off the table is the recommended way, just stop what you're doing, call the director and say, I've pulled the wrong card, and the director will ask to see where it was when you were playing it. Completely irrelevant whether your opponents can see the card or not. And then the director will tell you whether you've played it or not. The Mariana seriously needs the director to tell her whether she's played a card or not. I've heard well, everything there's a lot now. of dispute about when a card is played or not, depending on how keen your opponents that you have played it or not, or whether your partner could have seen it when you're a defender. So there are quite a few things around this as to whether it has been played. We all make mistakes, and if you make a mistake, it's too late to fix it. Well, you have made a mistake. And seriously, insanity is no defence? <laughs> No, you can't plead Mariana, you can't plead insanity, you can't plead a cow flew by. Hey look, I told you last week I was 50% mental. I'm not making any comment anymore. (laughs) So the simplest thing is to just stop and think, right, okay, don't keep going because that's the wrong thing to do, so just put it back in your hand. And then if they complain, then you look after that situation. Ideally, we call the director when things go wrong at the table. We don't need to wait for our opponents to call the director Uh when things go wrong at the table. If there's some dispute about it, you call the director. doesn't matter whether you're the offending or non-offending side. Get the director to the table. He or she will sort it out, and you don't have to worry about it. Seems bizarre, doesn't it? Call the director and say, Director, have I played this card? (laughs) I like to flick it off the table and then sort it out. Once it's on the table, you're getting to a point where it's probably played. In nearly all situations, that's not quite the same. Thank you, Julie. We'll try to have a more sensible question for 2021. The only one that's different to that is when you're making the opening lead, which if you place face down on the table, it is considered a played card. You cannot retract it without permission from the director. So if you put a card out for your opening lead and you put it face down on the table, which is what you really should do, and you think, bugger, I didn't want to play that card, it is too late. 
unless there's been some information come to light, feel free to call the director to ask if you can pick it up again, but you cannot pick it up and change your mind. I reckon there's a pretty good chance that Mariana would have been face down on the table after she'd played that <laughs> one again. <laughs> Too many Christmas parties? <laughs> no, actually, it was very civil this year. You were completely sober and you still did this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Crazy, eh? Anyway. Thank you, Julie. We'll try to have a more sensible question for you in 2021. Oh, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And a bottle of wine. <laughs> and a bottle of wine. Thanks, Chicky. See you next year. Okay. Bye. Have a good one. What else have we got? Oh, hey, I wonder how our friend Nigel is going. You said he's got a busy day today. Yeah, he has. He has. He's picking up his daughter and his daughter's partner and his newly born grandson from the airport today. So they've finished quarantine. They have. Obviously, he can get up and walk a little bit now. I saw him on Christmas Eve, and he's been walking for 25 minutes a day. Wow. So if you don't remember, listeners, Nigella or Nigel Gresson, our friend, he had both his knees done just before Christmas. He's going to be a brand spanking new bridge player in the new year with two new knees. Bionic man. Yep, that's it. Hey, speaking of having two knee operations at the same time, our chairman, Alan Morris, he had the same op as well. What? Last week? No, I don't know when it was. When I was talking to him last night, he said, yep, he had his, both his knees done at the same time, so he understands what Nigella's going through. He said, took a couple of days in hospital, and then he was recovering, and it took him about eight months to get back on that golf course. Oh, the golf course. Now, I could tell you a story about that. <laughs> what about the golf course? Well, well the rumour going around is, I was ringing around to try and get some information for the bridge zone, and I found out this interesting snippet. Yeah? Well, apparently he was wandering down the 12th fairway. At Who's the, that? Alan Morris. Oh, Alan Morris, right. Yeah, he was wandering down the 12th fairway at the Onifuro Bridge Club last week, and it's slightly downhill, so he thought he'd just let his trundler go on ahead you know, so he let it go yeah. and it headed off down there but then it started picking up speed uh oh <laughs> and the guy that Alan was playing with because Alan's knees are still not that good right. decided he wasn't running after it but the guy that he was playing with ran after it but every time he got nearly to it it would hit another bump and it would pick up a bit more speed <laughs> and, it, and it started heading for a lake I don't know how many golfing bridge players we've got but this lake it was pretty murky this lake too it wasn't like a nice clean one so heading towards it and his playing partner heroically tried to tried to catch it but just as he got there there were some rocks just before the uh, the lake and it hit one of these locks and catapulted spectacularly and landed in the middle of the lake and sunk right so anyway so our chairman looked at this and all he could see was the wheels sticking out apparently and unfortunately he had his keys his phone his wallet all in there so he really had no choice. To recover it. <laughs> Off came the shoes and socks. And if only somebody had had a camera, we could have had the chairman of New Zealand Bridge waist deep in this lake trying to retrieve the trolley, which of course was really heavy and he couldn't get it out. And just as he was trying to do this, somebody started nibbling at his toes. <laughs> this lake was full of eels. So he jumped out of there oh. couldn't move it anyway because it was full of water somebody handed him a golf club and said yeah hook that around there so he thought oh well there's nothing for it I'll have to go back in <laughs> went back in the eels all started nibbling <laughs> happy ending he did manage to get the trundler out of the lake poured all the water out <laughs> retrieved everything his team had made a 
birdie on that hole by the time he got back to them. <laughs> and so he headed off back to the clubhouse, sitting down there relaxing afterwards, and the president got up and started making a speech and announced, Blooper of the Year award goes to... Alan Morris. Of course. <laughs> So he gets to hold it for another 12 months. Well done, Alan, and thanks for letting me tell this story on air. Well, it was sort of bridge-related. He is the chairman. <laughs> He's lucky it was all the eels were nibbling on his toes. <laughs> <laughs> I could just imagine them all wet and bedraggled, just going around the bloody golf. <laughs> My husband went and played around at the Pyro Golf Club and we're teeing off, I don't know where it was, I think it was going down onto number two, and he whacked the snot out of his ball, and it took off, and next minute you hear this, Mur! and he'd hit a cow in the back <laughs> next door. <laughs> oh, he never lived that one down either. <laughs> anyway. Looking for terrible bridge partners. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> I was looking on BBO forums, as you do, and somebody put an ad on there looking for terrible bridge partners. And I thought of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, this person was a beginner, was very inexperienced, and had never actually played with a person. They'd played against robots and that right. on, on Bridge Base Online. And they were looking for a terrible bridge partner that would play with them. They didn't want anybody good. I thought, <laughs> I wonder how many replies you'd get if you were... Ask for a terrible bridge partner. Not many. What's this? It's Kermit's Bridge Tips with Pam Livingston. Hey Kermit, what's the last bridge tip for 2020? Well, I've got one that you might like to make your New Year's resolution. But it's about Brit. My tip for the end of this amazing year, 2020, is... Don't play a card from Dummy until you've got a plan. So when Dummy goes down, it's quite tempting to just play a card. I mean, especially if it's a singleton or it looks really obvious what to play. But you really need to plan the play of the hand before you play a card. We've all been there when you've thought, oh, I should have taken that finesse while I was in Dummy. Well, when dummy goes down, that's the time to plan the play of the hand. Good Very tip. Good. And so easily sometimes you think, oh, yeah, I'll just win that in my hand or I'll win it wherever. And then afterwards, I won, I won it in the wrong hand at trick one and all of a sudden it all turns to custard. Yes. Or what am I going to do with these losers? That's right. All there's, these things. And yeah. there's no undo button when you're playing at the table. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like those undo buttons anyway. Sometimes they come in awfully <laughs> handy after at trick two. How was your Christmas, Pam? It was absolutely delightful spending time with my family. I'm just up near the chateau on Whakapapa, and we've just been for a nice walk in the bush. And we will look forward to some more tips in 2021. Yes, all the best for the new year, everyone. Thank you, Pam. Catch Kermit next week for another tip. See you. <laughs> So, listeners, please join us in welcoming our favourite Australian, the flavour of the month, Kim Fraser. She just recently won the International Bridge Press Association Book of the Year Award. Amazing. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mariana and Barry. Exciting stuff, this award, Kim. I understand that normally you would get to travel to accept this award. What happens in this amazing year 2020? In the amazing year of COVID-19, the award was presented at one o'clock in the morning on Zoom, of course. What else? Where else? Not quite as exciting as travelling to China 
and attending a bridge tournament and getting the award presented with everyone else in attendance. Definitely not. Still a great honour. Absolutely, and nonetheless meritorious. Indeed. It was quite a surprise to win, to be honest. Hot, hot uh, competition, Kim? Yeah, it was quite hot competition. I think there was Mike Lawrence and Barry Cohen, and I can't think of his name, but I know he was famous for solving the Rubik's Oh, that cube. was Nicholas Hammond. Yes, Nicholas Hammond, and... David Burt. That was pretty tough competition, for sure. How about that? Well done. Congratulations to beat off that Thank you very much. So just a couple of questions about your book, Kim. One, I noticed you talk about maintaining focus and concentration and dealing with nerves. Have you got any little tips that you can share with some of our, even our junior and intermediate players? doesn't matter what level you're at. I guess it still applies. Oh, definitely. I did a survey of many of the top Australian bridge players a few years ago. In that survey, the number one cause of errors and inconsistency that those players identified was loss of concentration. And so to me, it's incredibly important to be able to concentrate at the bridge table. So my tip for maintaining concentration is to focus. And by that, I mean, if there's some distraction going on around you and we've all played in clubs where the person at the next table drops their coffee all over the cards and everyone looks around and everyone is distracted and if that happens the best thing to do is to pause just stop and wait for the distraction to calm itself down and then to refocus just do in your mind a little review of what's happened to date in the hand so you might be halfway through playing the hand and so you say okay we're playing in four hearts all the trumps are gone I was about to do this da 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 this is what's happened and then proceed from there because when distractions occur that's when mistakes occur you're distracted your mind's not on the cards and the the hand at the table at that time and you make a mistake and then once you make a mistake on the next hand what tends to happen is you're thinking about the last hand that you just messed up you make another mistake you bid out of turn or you make the wrong bid or you pass when you should have bid and there's lots and lots of examples in bridge clubs Mm. where people do that we've all done it I've done it I'm sure you've done it yeah for sure and you have to one mistake you can sort of recover after two mistakes. You're probably on your way to a session that's not so good. That's right. And after three mistakes, your partner's looking for a new partner. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so this is all part of improving your mental approach, not something that most people consider much, I would suggest, at Bridge. Yeah, I don't think they do. So when I started writing the book and when I started writing the articles, the thing that I noticed in Bridge was that there were dozens and dozens of books on how to bid and how to defend and how to count cards and how to do a whole bunch of things associated with the play of the hand but there was very very little that I found on the mental side of the game and coming from elite sport in sport the top sports people all think that 90% of their success is now mental. Once all your skills are equal and your ability and your technique and all the things associated with performing a sporting task well, then it all becomes mental. And we see examples of lack of mental proficiency all the time. Think of the tennis player who chokes when they're serving for the match or think of the golfer that stands on their first tee and slices their first shot 
off into the wild. That is just the lack of mental skill. It's about on the practice fairway when there's no pressure, the golfer standing on the first tee will probably hit that first shot nice and relaxed, straight down the centre, time after time. But once you have competition and some pressure occurring, then your pressure increases your stress level and you can start to make mistakes. And having good mental skills will help you address those deficiencies and overcome those mistakes. Yeah, I did have a look and I saw one of the things you said in your book was that knowledge that helped you at international target shooting, which you believe can also be applied at the bridge table. And I thought, what the heck resemblance could there be between international target shooting and bridge? <laughs> Both of them require concentration. Both of them require good technical skills. So there's a lot of similarities. So the same sort of skills that brought me success in international shooting are the same kind of skills that have brought me success in bridge. It's really about, in the sporting world, it doesn't matter whether it's shooting or golf or tennis or soccer or cricket, all the mental skills that you use in those different sports are the same kind of skills that you can use to apply at the bridge table. If you think about how many people go to a bridge tournament, let's say it's a three-day tournament and they go down to breakfast and they then go from the breakfast room straight to the bridge table. They do no warm-up, they do no mental preparation to get their mind into gear, they just go into the bridge table. First board out of the slot is a complicated board and they go down because they haven't really got their mind working yet. And so in target shooting and in sport, players warm up before their match. Why don't people do this in bridge? I find it astounding that people don't apply the same kind of skills that the sporting world do to the bridge table and I think that in my book I talk about the mental skills being a toolbox and you have all kinds of different mental skills and what will work for one person won't work for another so it's important just like you have different bridge conventions to choose the conventions that work for you. There are a lot of people too that say, you know, oh God, I don't really want to play the first board. That does seem to be a thing with people is they just, they do actually need time to warm up. But I mean, unfortunately, the first board counts just as much as the last board, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you get off to a good start. It makes a huge difference to your confidence level and how you will perform in the match overall. And what you're talking about sports people... Don't they call it the top two inches? It's they've all got a lot of a lot of those people that you meet are maybe similar in ability to you. Just the top two inches me refers to what sort of frame of mind you're in and and whether you're confident. I guess Correct. That's, a little bit that's right. One of the examples I use in my book is you sit down to play against a pair, and that pair will make some remark like, "Oh, we don't not playing you. Oh, don't beat us up too badly." Right. Have you heard that kind of comment yes, from people? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, okay. I know what you're saying. And, yeah. Or alternatively, someone might say, oh, no, we've drawn the number one seeds. Oh, we're going to get slaughtered. And so people go into a match with a mindset that I'm going to lose. And that's the mindset they've gone into that match with. So they lose. Nobody's surprised. But if you go into a match with a mindset like, well, they get dealt 13 cards, I get dealt 13 cards. Fred and Joe beat them last time they played them and we can beat Fred and Joe so we can beat these people and you go in with all these positive statements in your mind and you know maybe you'll get beaten but at least you haven't beaten yourself before you sat down and played a card right I'm sure that all of us have played somebody who we thought was 
better than us. And yeah, that's not a good start. That's right. So going into matches with a positive approach as opposed to a negative approach and a negative mindset, just on its own will make a huge difference to how you can proceed or how successful you can be. And if you think about when you play good players, most of them are quite nice. Most of them take time to explain what their bids mean to you. Most of them, you can ask them a question at the end of the match and most of them will help you. They will help you improve if you ask in the right way. You know, you can say, oh, could I ask you a question about that hand? What should I have done in the bidding or what should I have done in my play to make that contract that feels like I made the wrong decision there? Most of them will help you and that's the way you can improve. So you talk about visualisation and imagery in your book. Is this part of what you're just explaining here? Partly. So in sport, the way people use visualisation and imagery is if we think about a basketballer and a basketballer has to shoot the ball through the hoop to get a score. So visualisation says that when you mentally rehearse doing that shot, it's as good as if you were actually on the practice court practicing the shot. So you can sit at home in a relaxed environment, picture yourself on the court and picture yourself shooting that ball through the hoop. And if you do that over and over again, it will help. It helps you improve your technique faster than if you were just practicing live on the court because you never miss when you visualize. You don't practice missing when you're visualizing. And so in the same way in bridge, you can use visualization to help you overcome nervous situations. So you could imagine yourself at a tournament. If a tournament is an environment that tends to lead to you being a little bit nervous in a stressful environment, and sometimes I remember a few years ago I was playing with a lady and in the first board of the match she had a chance to make this contract but she was so nervous I could see her hands were shaking and she was so nervous and she said to me afterwards oh I'm so sorry I just get so nervous at the start of competitions so visualization can help you overcome that sort of nervousness because you can imagine yourself playing the first tournament of the round before you actually do it you can do it in your room before you actually attend the tournament on the day and then when you go in you've already imagined yourself there it can help you to relax wow what a jam-packed session today talking to all the ladies barry you're a lucky man and we didn't even have time for our new year's resolutions oh yeah what's yours well no i haven't figured those out yet maybe it's to try and distinguish the diamonds from the hearts I'm definitely going to think of you, Jean, quite a lot. Mariana, if you haven't got a headache, you haven't been concentrating enough. I didn't even slip that in with our chat with Kim. <laughs> she would have loved it. <laughs> Maybe I could see her. Oh, by the way, Yujon Chen over here says, but that's it, people. We think it should be all about having that mental edge. Concentrate and focus. Maintaining focus and concentration. Dealing with nerves. Do you get nervous? Uh, not so much anymore. I suppose it depends what sort of thing you're playing in. If you're playing in the bigger the event, the worse the nerves, I guess. So that's us. Don't forget, if you have got a New Year's resolution coming up or you think of one after New Year's, please let us know.
bridgezoneshow at gmail.com. We'd love to get some New Year's <laughs> resolutions to broadcast next year. We would love to do that. That would be awesome. So please send them in, and we'd like to track them and see how well you do at keeping them as well. That's it from us. Thanks for listening, team. Bye for now. Happy New Year. New Zealand Bridge, sponsoring Bridge from beginner to international, nationwide. Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.